Welcome back to Popcorn Lore, guys. The popcorn where we dive into the lore and history of your favorite movies, or our favorite movies for now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> How's everyone been? Good. Good, good. How about you? Good, good. So uh, today we got a action 80s theme packed movie. What's the movie <laughs> we're going to talk about? Back, Back to the Future. To the Future. Nice. Cue the music, boys. Cue the music. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. And we're back, <laughs> as always. So quick. We're back to the back. We're back to the present. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that, Tony. I really appreciate that. <laughs> okay, Amen. so this is uh, Aaron's choice this week. Yes, Aaron. Yeah, yay! That's a good choice. That's uh that's the movie I grew up on. Yeah, me too. I, I, I. Anytime this movie was on TV, I watch this movie. I, I know what's gonna happen when we ask the question of where were you in 1985. <laughs> 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 I was a thought. Same, same. I was actually uh, alive in '85. That's great. Congratulations! That's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, quick, uh, quick little um, synopsis about the movie. Aaron, could you give us a rundown about the Back to the Future for those who haven't seen it? Yeah, sure. So, uh, Back to the Future is a movie about. Um, time travel, obviously, if the uh, if the title didn't give it away. Um, the movie is about uh, Marty McFly and Doc Brown. Uh, they essentially find a way to um, travel into the future and based on some kind of events that happen that uh, kind of force a um, not so optimal uh, time travel event. Um, uh, Marty McFly gets uh, stuck actually in the past in in this movie in uh in the 1950s and he ultimately is trying to get back uh, to 1985 so to the future to the future yeah and he's also trying to correct some mistakes he did yeah uh, while he was in the future to while, uh, while he was in the past sorry while he past. was in the while he was in the past and then obviously the beginning of the movie he sees lots of stuff which you know obviously affects some of his decision making while he's in the past, including um, you know, run-ins with his parents and his parents' bullies and teachers, etc. So, yeah. Okay, great. great so it was released in 1985, right? Yep, that's correct. Okay, so some notable movies from 1985 include um, Commando. You have uh, Rambo as well, Blood Part uh, First Blood Part Two. You have Goonies. You have Legend. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. It's a Ridley Scott film. Pretty Rocky cool. Four. Rocky Never. Four. Uh, and you have The Breakfast Club as well. 
That's a good movie. So yeah, so 1984, I mean, these movies, as I look at them and, and list them off, I mean, very stable, stable uh, kind of 1980s movies. I feel a lot of these movies are very original. Yeah, they are. They were I think, kind of... I think a um, lot of them were original, colorful, creative, and uh, just all in all, uh, fun movies to watch. Yeah. But I would say that like the movie that we're going to talk about today, yeah, to me, like it really is like a staple of like 1980s, like for sure, hands down. For sure. I don't think you can name, put a top 10 list of 1980s movies and it's not on the list, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so what was your impressions of when you guys, or do you guys remember first watching this movie? I mean, it's pretty much uh, a classic, right? Yeah. So, uh, well, okay. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. Um, I was obviously too young to uh, watch it in the theaters, so I I rented the tape uh, probably probably in the eighty seven eighty eight. I rented the tape, and uh, yeah, uh, it was fun to watch. It was easy to follow. Mm-hmm. I think it's the movie that's easy to follow, very easy to follow even for all ages. It was fun to watch, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. And um, I distinctly remember the second and third one coming out like shortly after one another. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, like uh, uh, it's definitely part of my childhood. Nice. Nice. And uh, what about you, Aaron? This is going to be kind of funny, but uh, I didn't watch the movie. I didn't watch the movie until I started playing guitar. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but there's a, obviously a big part of the movie is is about like like marty plays guitar and about music and stuff so the the very first thing i remember seeing is it was on tv when i was like maybe 11 and in particular is at the part where he was doing the like chuck berry um yeah yeah, the johnny be good chuck berry piece like part and then that song actually was like one of the reasons that i ended up wanting to play guitar and get good at guitar so that's like that i know it sounds funny but that's like a big part of the reason why i ended up like learning guitar and ultimately one of the reasons why i ended up watching the whole movie and loving the movie too cool very cool yeah how about you Um, yeah i mean this movie i don't even remember the first time i saw it because it's like it feels like it's one of those movies that it's like has always been around yeah yeah um, but I mean, it's such a cult, like it's, it's a cultural phenomenon, right? This movie, I mean, it's had influences on everywhere, even today, like a character like Rick and Morty, you know, like just Rick itself is like based off of, uh, yeah, the doc. Yeah, that's Doc-off. true. Not doc off. Uh, what's doc his name? Brown. Doc Brown. Doc Brown. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, not much else to say. Uh, Robert Zemeckis, a little background on him. Obviously, he's had this movie and he's had the sequels. He's also done Forrest Gump, which won the Academy Award for Best Film, even though I think Shawshank got robbed, but that's another story. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's known for these type of movies, right? It's very, very, um, you can tell it's him. He has a very distinct style, I think, to his movies. One thing I will say, though, is that this is the only Back to the Future that I like. I really hated the second movie. Oh, interesting. And the third movie was okay, but it was kind of like just okay, you know? Like, I I really feel that this is the one that, like, is the home run and the one that you always go back to. 
For sure, uh, the first one is the best. Is the best, but it's funny. If I had to pick the one I dislike, I I dislike the third one, and actually, I like the second one, which is funny. Yeah, the second one, I I really didn't like it because I found it was uh, just a repeat of the first, but everything done really badly. In the future, yeah, exactly. But anyways, that's uh, that's another yeah, topic of discussion. We're talking about topic. the first, the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, just take us away, Aaron. Yeah. Okay. So uh, since we're top talking about uh, Robert uh, Zemeckis, uh, I want to go into discussing about him and uh, somebody else who's very important, uh, whose name is Bob Gale. So uh, Bob Gale did a lot of the like uh, story, uh, like the screenplay essentially for um, many of the Robert Zemeckis movies. So um, Bob Gale actually was the one that came up with the idea for Back to the Future. And the way in which he came up with the idea is really cool. He was essentially uh, going through like his house, I guess, like going through like cleaning up his his parents' house, and he found an old yearbook um, from when his parents were in high school. And at the time, um, he, uh, basically, he had the idea because he was looking through the um, the <clears throat> yearbook. I was like, I wonder what it'd be like if I was friends with, you know, my parents when they were in high school. So then essentially he ended up getting a couple ideas from from this uh, this this kind of uh, idea. So a high school kid gets sent back in time, essentially. He uh, meets his parents and then the the kicker and all of it, obviously, which uh, we didn't talk about yet, is that the. Uh, mom falls in love with him instead of his dad so uh, and that essentially those three ideas is kind of what ended up coming out for the screenplay for um the movie um like a lot of uh, good movies there's adversity so uh, robert zemeckis and bob gale were known for writing really good screenplays essentially and directing movies uh, that like seem like they were really really amazing but actually um turned into flops so uh, they worked on the screenplay for um a steven spielberg movie i think the movie was called 1941 um and what ended up happening is the film was supposed to be like an american war comedy film and it like bombed horribly so and and even though the screenplay for the movie was like fantastic the the movie bombed so and they had worked on some other films that weren't so successful so they were kind of known within the industry as these guys who made really good screenplays and and were capable of essentially like you know churning out really good movies but actually their movies like all kind of turned to dust essentially so when... It's interesting that you uh, that you that you say that because right after Back to the Future they just have like hit a hit after hit right yeah, well obviously they... the, the two other hits are the the sequels but they also have like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and that's then, a big one he won a, he then, won a uh, uh, Academy Gump. Award for that too and then obviously they won big time for Forrest Gump yeah I I read that uh, they uh, they were desperate to have a movie that actually succeeded yeah like, really de like really desperate and then. Um, even Back to the Future, I heard it got rejected like forty times. Exactly. So, before, so uh, the, the the movie the movie got rejected like forty times, apparently by like every major studio. And then, um, the the way that they ended up getting the movie approved is that um, Robert Zemeckis asked 
Steven Spielberg, like, what should I do? And Steven Spielberg was basically like, you should work on something and try and like build your reputation back. So they ended up working on this movie with Richard Gere. I don't, I don't remember what the movie is called, but the, there's something about love and cars or something like that. Uh, uh, used cars, used cars. Used cars. Thank you. So the, the movie ended up being very successful. So then after he had, they ended up making that movie, um, they ultimately, it, it was a way easier for them to get um, their their screenplay essentially like greenlit. But before Uh, do you that, think like uh nobody would take them. do you think that one of the reasons they 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 were rejected 40 times was because their previous movies were flops Yeah, and that was one of the reasons that's actually what it was. Like, like uh, I was I was reading something that said they were essentially known for making like really good screenplays that just that just flopped. That's like that's what their reputation was. So so nobody wanted to touch them. Uh, so, um, and an interesting story about that when they did finally um go to some major studios. One of the major studios that they went to back then was uh, Disney. So Disney, before it got like kind of reformed or reshaped, obviously, with like, you know, the Marvel stuff and everything else, Disney was like a very like family friendly um, like organization at the time, a company at the time. So um, when they went to Disney, Disney wouldn't touch the movie because of the uh, scenes with him and his mom. the Leah Thompson, Michael J. Fox scenes, like the ones in the car and stuff like that. They're basically like, are you guys like kidding me? Like they can't make this movie. There's a, you've got a kid and a mom in the car. It's like incestuous basically. So <laughs> it's pretty crazy that uh, they had so much like turmoil um, in order to even make the movie. Yeah, and And it was it, and it would have been hard to write around that, right? I mean, they would have it pretty much like that. That aspect of the movie was pretty much set secured in stone in, in the script, right? <laughs> yeah and like to be honest with you the, the actual screenplay itself if you if you took a look at it there wasn't even um a lot of changes that got made to it apparently well the apparently got rewritten a bunch of times or got rejected a bunch of times but apparently the like actual screenplay itself was like is like a masterpiece you know what i mean so it's interesting but yeah that that was definitely like a, a vital part of uh the film so um Something else that's kind of interesting, actually, when if you want to talk about diversity, is um, Michael J. Fox wasn't the original actor who played Marty McFly. I don't know. Did you guys did you guys know about that? I I heard that their original pick was was Michael J. Fox, and then they couldn't have him because because it was the scheduling issues, and then they had someone else, and then I don't know why, but they went back to Michael J. Fox. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. So, what happened was uh, Michael J. Fox was the original pick, but at the time I think he was filming um, Family Ties, so um, he was basically like under contract, and whoever the I forget the name of the person that was directing or like uh, producing Family Ties at the time, he basically was like, "No way! Like you guys aren't going to get Michael J. Fox." So, after a whole bunch of um, like kind of uh, uh, looking around for, for who they wanted the, the main actor to be, they landed on someone called Eric Stoltz. So um, Eric Stoltz was in um, Mask uh, and uh, he was in 
I guess he was in Pulp Fiction too. Funny enough, uh, he he's been in a bunch of different movies. He was he was also in a sitcom at the time. But he, is he the uh, villain in The Mask? I believe so. Yeah, he's oh. also he's also the um you know the guy the heroin guy the one that um, John Travolta takes. Oh right. Her yeah. To, to, yeah, that's it, it, that's who uh, that's Eric Stoltz. So um. Wow, this guy really has like this similar look to. Uh... To Michael, Michael J. Fox. Fox. I know they were clearly going for a uh, for a uh, a certain typecast. You know what I mean? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that was interesting about this guy Eric Stoltz is apparently he's a method actor. So when he was on set or just in general, he made sure that everybody called him Marty. He like refused to go by his real name. And it ended up causing, like, I know it sounds funny because I think a lot of actors have done that now, but at the time, it, I guess it was a little bit odd to people. And Extreme? And, yeah, it was a little extreme. He he was also, like, apparently he didn't have a particularly good um, demeanor about certain things, but uh, but it, ca- it ended up causing a bunch of problems. So after 30 days, um, Steven Spielberg ended up firing him. There's, like, some lore or whatever that, uh, Steven Spielberg was like, "Hey, Eric, like, I need to talk to you." And uh, Eric was basically like, "My name's not Eric. My name's like Marty." And then Steven Spielberg was like, "No, your name's Eric, and you're fired." He said, "Okay, Marty, you're fired." <laughs> that's uh, that's devotion right there because you're willing to play the role and devote yourself to the role and be in character 24 hours a day, even if it means losing the job which is kind of like stupid yeah because <laughs> it's like yeah okay stay in character but there's no character to play anymore yeah i don't you're gonna lose the job mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah i don't know i'm not an actor i don't know how these people think <laughs> you're not well except when i'm lying <laughs> <laughs> so what about um what about uh doc brown's character christopher lloyd i mean now he's like what's the background story with him yeah, so that character was based on I forget there's it was a mix of two people, one of them I which I don't know, but obviously the other one uh, which they pay uh homage to is he's based on like Albert Einstein, right? Oh, right, right. yeah, sure. Sense. That makes yeah, sense. And 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 it's funny um what ended up happening was originally you know, so the dog's name is Einstein, right? The the dog that yeah. they send uh, yeah. originally back. So originally the the dog was supposed to be a chimpanzee named Shimp or something like that. It's some like some weird name. And then um, I'm was... guessing that was to like uh, allude to like uh, exactly. space travel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So, but instead, the, uh, so what ended up happening is they actually sent the script to someone named Sid uh, Scheinberg, and he had a couple like recommendations. So originally, Doc Brown was supposed to be Professor Brown. Um, and one of the things that's interesting is that the one of the recommendations the guy made, which they actually considered, was calling the movie uh, a spaceman from Pluto. So, <laughs> so you know, doesn't the have the same uh, kind of blockbuster. No, doesn't have the same kind of ring. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know how um, how uh, George McFly has the comic book. And um, and then Marty visits him in the hazmat suit in order right, to make sure yeah. with yeah, the so, Lockman exactly exactly and he calls himself Darth Vader from Vulcan or something like yeah. that. So yeah. what they wanted to do is have it so that the book was called 
a spaceman from Pluto instead of like a match made from space or something like that. And then, and then they basically have him pay some, like have, have the dialogue or whatever, say I'm a spaceman from Pluto or something. And that'd be like the tie to it instead of the part where doc Brown goes, we're going back to the future. I think what's uh, just on that point to the scene that you brought up when Marty uh, dresses up as like whatever, just to imitate the comic book. I I find what's interesting is because like at the time when they filmed this movie, this was all cultural relevant stuff for the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But when I watched it at the age that like when I watched it, like for me, I didn't grow up on, you know, like that kind of time. So for me, it was still, it was all like, that was already a cultural impact to me already. You know what I mean? Like star Wars and that, that type of stuff. It's just interesting that if you were in the theater at in 1985, this this kind of stuff was relatively new. So it was kind of like yeah. jokes that they're making about stuff that's like relevant for the time, right? Yeah. But it yeah. just it ages so well now because that stuff is a cultural phenomenon as well. You know, yeah. so it just adds to the movie. And that's why that's why I feel like the, the movie ages so well because these are things similar to Johnny B. Good, you know, like these yeah. are cultural phenomenal things, even for the time, the references that they make for the eighties, it still resonates today because they were just, they, they picked well on the stuff that they wanted to, to imitate on. Yeah. It's kind of ironic too, because he's talking to his dad and then he mentioned Darth Vader and stuff like that. So I've even seen funny things, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm your father type stuff. So, right. But yeah, that actor that plays his, uh, his father is really, really good actor. Actually. Yeah, Crispin he did a really, Glover. He did a great job, yeah. Yeah, so he apparently was so nervous filming the film that he that lost... That comes out in his role. <laughs> yeah, that he lost his voice. And so he had to redo, apparently, like so many of his lines because he he basically had no voice for like 70% of the of the uh, of shooting the film. Um, and then that's it's kind of crazy because uh, so after Eric Stoltz ended up getting fired, um, Michael J. Fox, like uh, speaking of being like nervous or having or being overworked or whatever, Michael J. Fox, what he would do is that they signed a contract. He was only like uh, 22, I think, at the time. So what he'd have to do is he'd have to work all day on the sitcom until six o'clock, and then he would show up on the set of Back to the Future, like like uh, or he'd work from nine to five or whatever on the sitcom show up to the set at six o'clock and they would shoot from six until two o'clock. And then wow. he would sleep on the way home from the car. And he did that on repeat for like four or five months until it'd be uh, great to be 22 again. Eh? <laughs> I know. And, and his, apparently his line was I'm 22. Like, what have I got to, what have I got to do basically? Like, so he was hungry to work, which is, which is amazing for great him. attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Like Canadian uh, boy. Yeah, good old Canadian boy. Can never uh, go wrong. And yeah. he walked across Canada with one leg. Oh no, sorry, that's the other fox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I heard that um great Scott Tony. He, he had to be uh carried he had to be carried to bed. Oh, he was so exhausted really? that his handlers, whatever, they would take him from the car and carry him to his bed, basically, because he was so exhausted. Yeah, that makes sense because basically what they said is that he, he it took him about an hour to get home after he would shoot. And so they would like drive him home in the van or whatever. And he would sleep like he had like a bed in the van. And yeah, he, yeah. He would sleep. Yeah, no choice. On the way home, basically in the van. 
he would fall asleep and then like you said i guess they would carry him to bed and then he would wake up and uh he did it all over again and he did that for something like four or five months until um the sitcom ended up like wrapping up essentially and then they could they could finish the other thing that the people complained about is so it was rough because the people on set they filmed everybody else during the daytime right so they would have to wait on set for marty to, or not marty uh michael j fox to get there at six o'clock and then they would resume shooting so it's like they would film all day and then they'd wait and then michael j fox would get there and then they'd shoot all all into the night until two o'clock so it was really really like it was a really difficult shoot for them apparently I'm going to ask a question on a different angle or a different topic, um, just, just like that. Um, do you guys think Michael Michael J. Fox is like top 10 Canadian actors of all time, top 20? Whoa. Because <laughs> I think because I, I, when I saw it last night, I was just amazed at his age, how good his acting was. Yeah. And his physical comedy and all that stuff, you know. Well, I mean, this is the role that really launched him into, you know, yeah, but he had legendary, too, right? Yeah, but I mean, this is the the role that really launched him into legendary status, of that, <laughs> right? Like, especially in the states and yeah, and just yeah, in yeah, pop culture in general. I mean, they 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 always return to this role. I I think they they did a was it a special on a, a late night show where they both appeared like in costume and everything? Ah, uh, yeah, it was a couple um, of years ago. Yeah, it was um, Third Rock from the Sun, I think. Oh. Okay, well, I'm not really sure, but I remember seeing it, but. Uh, but I grew up with like I I I grew up with Michael J. Fox. Like I saw him in Family Ties. I saw him in Back to the Future. I saw him in Teen Wolf. Even Teen Wolf for me was a was a big movie. It just like mm-hmm. it was uh, it, uh, it it uh, it's a movie that I liked a lot as well. Uh, yeah, I think City. he did a good job on that one. Spin City was also real. Like he was definitely very successful during the age of sitcoms. Like he was a very very successful sitcom actor. Definitely, it goes uh, to show that hard work pays off, you know. Yeah, I think he's a hard worker. He was also a very good actor. Like he, yeah, yeah, hands down for sure. Yeah, Um, I I think. Yeah, sorry. I think he's up there for sure. I, I mean, I can't think of a ton of other top tier Canadian actors off the top of my head, but I'm sure if you put it in a list, I'm sure he he'd be up there for sure. I mean, there's tons, right? You got Ryan Reynolds. You have uh, oh, he's Canadian. Oh yeah, yeah, Ryan Gosling. Yeah. yeah, you have Ryan Gosling, you have uh, Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah, wow. Right. Oh, Jim Carrey. Yeah, William Shatner. I mean, the, there's a tons, but... Uh, John Candy. One of the things I wanted to talk about with this movie that I really loved is um, the set, especially, uh, like, you can tell that it's a set for a movie. I really love that aspect, like, as when they're in around where the clock tower is and the diner area and all that kind of stuff, you really get a sense of the town. You know that yeah. that's like where it is, but at the same time, you really have that feeling that it's a set piece um, for for a movie, and I really really love that, especially when they go from like the eighties to you know to I guess they're in the fifties at that point. Is it the nineteen fifties that he goes back to? Fifty five. Fifty five. Yeah. Fifty five. Exactly. And the actor uh, that uh, Thomas Wilson, the guy who plays Sid, is his name. What's the bad the bad guy's name? Uh, in the movie? Uh, Biff. Biff. Sorry, Biff. He's a, he does a great job as well. Yeah. You know what? I want to mention something that I've been noticing throughout all our podcasts, but I never really mentioned it is a lot of our movies that date in from the nineties or early two thousands, in this case, eighties, they 
they show they they're more loose to show like kind of taboo stuff like in this movie there's the sort of quote-unquote incest Mm -hmm. and then there's the sort of the quote-unquote rape attempt scene where biff is trying to like and just the bullying in general there's bullying there's biff in the car with the girl and he's trying to like but I feel like it, we were less sen- we were less sensitive back. Yeah, then. and even even like the the other movies we we uh, like Natural Born Killers. There's yeah. also the incest scene, and then um, V for Vendetta in the beginning. There's a rape attempt, sort of in in uh, leaning towards that. And a lot of our movies touch that touch certain subjects that pa- post two thousand fifteen. Like you, you see zero like that zero almost taboo like it's a taboo like and, you don't talk about it and unless it's like a small independent movie or something like that and this is a family movie and it's a family <laughs> movie as well yeah, yeah. like in the nineteen eighty five you're 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 bringing your kids and your wife to go yeah. see this movie easily. but there's never you're never gonna see that now yeah yeah that's an interesting point and even they even yeah. even in there's even racism in the movie like they. Uh, we don't like there was a scene where there's black people and yeah. uh, they were like we don't we don't co- want colored people here. You know? Oh right, like, right. you're not gonna he, see that he, now. He he, yeah. he doesn't just say that too. He uses like a like a like a derogatory term that I'm not. Gonna he say. uses a, a racial slur, right? A racial slur, yeah. He doesn't. Yeah, and now like you're never gonna see that. And oh, uh, it's true. I mean, it's okay. We're, we're protecting our society, I guess. I don't know. I just noticed that. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, things were um, very different back then. Yeah, so the the aspects of this movie that I find were were quite interesting was, like I said, the the set pieces, especially like just introducing and having things done at a certain time. You you you're kind of like you feel like you're integrated into the movie in a sense where you know where the clock tower is, you know where like you know, and just going from his school into like that place where the park is, where like most of the activity happens in the town, you're almost like immersed into like the environment that Marty's in. You know what I mean? Yeah, I found like they did it. Creates like a world almost. Yeah. Yeah, you're like you're almost like living in you. You're kind of like part of his adventure, right? Another positive thing I got about this movie is just the fact of sort of being a teenager or someone that's 20 years old, and your your life is up and coming, and you have your first car, and you have your first job, and you have your first girlfriend, and you want to take her out to the lake, and your mom disagreeing with you, and it's just like there's so much life in that in that lifestyle of being a teenager mm-hmm. that kind of reminded me of being young teenager <laughs> for sure yeah, but it's like it really it really transpired that aspect of being a teenager with your parents on your ass and you're trying to go to the lake with your girlfriend and but you, but you, but the, you can't get the car and it's like it's just this stuff that you live through when you're like 20 but that I, I don't that i kind of like not, but I feel that's, uh, right that's part of the strength of the film. I find that the, the strength of the film is that it's hard sometimes to relate to your parents, right? Yeah. yeah. And to the to to what Aaron was saying, I think the guy, was it Bob, you said, that was doing the screenplay? Yeah, Bob Gale, Bob Gale. Like his idea would be like, how would it be to be friends with your 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 parents yeah, at that yeah. age? And that's basically to relate to them because this movie, the, the, the real strength of the film, I find, is that like the parents, when they watch this movie, they can relate and as and the kid can relate too because he's going back to wherever their time is and they're not they're his age yeah so he's seeing it through their their lens and it's just about relating right it's very hard for sometimes some of us like or, or sometimes yeah, to relate like, to uh, you know certain things parent child dynamics is definitely a yeah. theme in this movie yeah 
So that's, uh, I think it's a big, uh, a big part of the film. But one of the other parts of the film that I find is, uh, is uh, huge is just the power of innovation, you know, like, uh, whether it's like Marty showing, uh, and this, this, I find it's like the theme that kind of Robert Zemeckis brings up later in Forrest Gump, like when he's making, um, Forrest Gump, for example, like when like he makes it seem like Elvis Presley saw Forrest Gump and that's how he imitates <laughs> his like, or, or, you know, like, uh, the football or whatever yeah, the, the case may be. Yeah, like Marty Marty shows like how to play guitar that way in the 1950s and maybe that has influence, you know what I mean? Yeah. So just innovation in general, just like, you know, well, just the, what's the name of the, the, the car in the movie? The DeLorean. The DeLorean, right? The DeLorean, yeah. So that that's able to, you know, go back to the future. Yeah, sure. But then he, he's able to like, you know, make a skateboard, you know, that they've never seen in the 1950s or like do all these cool things. And it's just like the power of innovation, like how long, how far we've gone where we take these things so... Like they're everyday things. We're so used to having this, this technology or this like ability to do this stuff. But in the 1950s, they'd never seen anything like that, right? So yeah. that's another thing about the movie I found was really cool. It's like, yeah, just hey, seeing the evolution hey, of things. I, there's something I want to talk about that is really um, interesting about the 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 movie that I, I want to discuss at the end here. So TJ, have you ever heard of CRM 114 related to Stanley Kubrick? Yes. Okay, so I don't know if you noticed, but see the number CRM one fourteen is on the amplifier um, when Marty's turning it up. For those of you who don't know, um, CRM one fourteen is like a letter sequence or number sequencing that shows up in a ton of Stanley Kubrick films. So, and funny enough, what's crazy about it is they also actually pay homage to it in um, No Country for Old Men. Which is which oh is really, really yeah. yeah. So it's crazy because so it's the license plate number uh, for in Eyes Wide Shut. So it has relevance there. It was the um, the like a fictional piece of radio equipment in his movie Doctor Strangelove. Uh, it's the serial number in two thousand one, um, a space Odyssey. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in um. In um, No Country for Old Men, for the crime scene, he dies in room 114 or whatever. And so then it's CRM, like crime scene 114. That's the way they like tie it in and they pay homage to it. So I thought that Really How did crazy. it originally? Uh... There's a lot of uh, uh, cultural well, uh, cultural references or hidden Easter eggs. I feel in this film. Yeah, tons of them actually. If uh, this was the one I felt was the most relevant, but when I was doing my like kind of research, there was a bunch of little uh, little Easter eggs. It's just a number sequence that Stanley Kubrick used, and then because he's used it so much and people have like noticed it, it shows up everywhere in movies now. It shows. It's been like yeah. a, a whole ton but, of other movies. But that's like a kind of like. Um... I guess like an insider thing of like, because that's like, they're probably their favorite director or whatever. So they wanted to give like a tribute, you know, exactly in some, in some way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I just thought it was funny that it was it tied into Coen brothers. It obviously tied it tied into Stanley Kubrick and then it tied into this movie too. So it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy funny. that our last two movies, eyes wide shut and no country for old men. And then now uh, back to the future all have, all have that, that, piece to tie them together i thought that was really yeah that is what are, that is what are the odds of that and that's what we do here at popcorn more people and, and there's one <laughs> other there's other one other film too that it's in 
Which Eyes one? wide shut. Yeah, he just said it. Oh, you just said yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's her license plate, apparently. And Irene is our Irene is our it's Easter a, egg I think it's uh, the specialist. Morgue member. He's our Easter visits, egg reporter. Um, <laughs> when you visit the the morgue. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's the it's the it's C one fourteen, the room that he goes into. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy. All right, well, that's uh, Back to the Future. I mean, not much more we could add. Classic, classic film. For yeah. sure, like, if you're a film lover, you're going to watch this movie at least once in your life, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Or um, in my case, twice. <laughs> <laughs> once Any now closing once thoughts? Uh, once now and once in the future. Any closing thoughts for you, Tony? You know, uh, it's just refreshing. Like, we we did a lot of 90s and 2000s. Yeah. I don't think we did any 80s No. Movies. And it's kind of refreshing to go back and see an 80s movies. And for me, especially, because I was I was there, uh, it just they brought a lot of nostalgia for me. The, yeah. all, all the gadgets, all the yeah. the Walkman, the DVC um, camcorder, like the TV, like there's a lot of nostalgia. And not only in the technology and the and the um, the brands of the the food and drink, but also just the vibe. That the 80s had like everything was new with like yeah. all, all the technology you saw there was actually quite new it was like the the yeah. walkman the uh the the camera like all these things were like recently invented like, probably within the five past five years so it was just like an era where like everything everyone everything was up and coming you know yeah and it's, that's and that's that's what i appreciated that that's one of the things i appreciate a lot about the movie i find that 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 decade in particular like there's all we always like uh, people are nostalgic or they always think about nostalgia but there's a certain magic i find with the 80s that uh yeah that there's a, i don't know what it is exactly it's kind of like um a window or like a, a bridge into like the modern world in a sense you know with all the technology and everything that that goes on there I don't yeah. know what it is, but but I, I think uh, I but you, yeah. like I said, when you see the list of movies in '85, you kind of see that magic because all every single one of them is really unique and special. Yeah. So I agree. And what about you, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's my favorite childhood movie, so it's easy for me to like it. And then, like you said, like <laughs> it's kind of crazy to see some of the stuff from the that movie now is things we see in the future every day. It's like you said, like. Uh, Science innovation imitates yeah. uh, real life so reality yeah yeah exactly or reality imitates science fiction yeah, fiction you, or whatever vice yeah. versa all right well i think that's it for back to the future um if you haven't checked it out definitely check it out all you gen z's and i don't know what, what what's the next generation gen gen alpha or something or gen beta <laughs> I got, I got hopefully it's gen alpha i'm, I'm generation x generation x your generation yeah, yeah well you're too generation. cool for school <laughs> You're too cool for school, Tony. I think Generation X ended ended on the year that I was born. I was like the last Generation X. You're exposing yourself now, Tony. It's <laughs> enough beers for Don't you. Don't look it up, people. It's enough beers for you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in. And as always, um, thanks for the support. And yeah, adios. All right. Bye, Cue guys. Cue the music. Cue the music. Peace.